Welcome to I'm So Obsessed, where we talk with actors, artists, and creators about their work, career, and current obsession. I'm your host, Patrick Holland, and today my guest is Lauren Ashley Smith, who is the head writer and co-executive producer on the HBO series A Black Lady Sketch Show. She's the first black woman to be the head writer of a sketch television show. I should note that this interview was recorded just ahead of the season two premiere of A Black Lady Sketch Show. Okay, so uh, Lauren Ashley Smith, I am so stoked to have you on our show, um, and there's so much to talk about, but obviously the big thing is we want to talk about um, A Black Lady Sketch Show, mm-hmm. season two is getting ready to come out, um, and let's just start with the basics. How did A Black Lady Sketch Show come about? A Black Lady Sketch Show came from the brilliant mind of Robin Thede, who's the creator, showrunner, star. She plays, wears many hats on the show, but basically she has such a, a, a deep sketch comedy background and she and I had worked together on her late night show on BET the rundown with Robin Thede and Robin basically uh came up with the idea for the show she sold it to HBO and she graciously asked me if I would kind of come along with her and um join the team and I did I left New York City and moved to LA to do the show and I'm so glad that I did and it's truly like she created something that I thought I didn't even know to think to want from the comedy landscape. And I'm so glad that it exists now just as a fan of sketch comedy, but even more excited and honored and invigorated to be part of the team that makes it happen. Yeah. It's like um, a platform is such like a, like a PC term, but it it is just such a platform and such a way uh, to feature, but ultimately it's a sketch show and it's, funny, which I think is the most important part. Absolutely. Um, Very, right? it's, it's the number one thing that, and I, I truly like as a writer, um, we always like in writers and always talk about things and like people will pitch great ideas, but our number one question is always like, okay, but stop. Is it funny? Because sometimes the answer is no, it doesn't mean it's not compelling. It doesn't mean it's not worth being said or exciting, but for this sketch comedy program, is it funny is the first it's that's, that's queen on the show. I wonder if you could talk a little bit about uh, just what it feels like to be in a writer's room and with all those amazing performers too, working on that show, because it definitely has a different vibe. And I think that's part of the appeal for me, at least. Yeah. I think a lot of the writers in the room, um, me included came from a background of being usually the only woman or black woman or black person or queer person or et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, in a writer's room, just because of the way that writer's room typically look. And so there was such a freedom and a weight off and a jubilation that occurred when we realized that you got to kind of take off that jacket of like being like, okay, now here's my only woman jacket, take that off. Here's my only black person jacket, take that off. And like only the cool t-shirt of the comedy writer is underneath. Like that was such an amazing feeling um, to experience for all of us. And it just frees you up and opens you up to create things that are distilled down to the rawest version of your truth. Um, when you don't have to explain yourself. Okay, your title technically is co-executive producer and head writer. Yes. What exactly does a head writer do? That's a good question. It's it's a lot of things is the answer, but the head writer <laughs> is basically the um, captain of the ship as far as the, the writing and creative voice of the show is concerned. So I'm the person that is there to, um, like Robin has the vision. I'm the 
I'm the person, my job is to always honor that vision and make sure everything that comes out of the writer's room is in the, in line with that vision. And so it's a lot of, you know, writing uh, as a writer period, but also about like sort of taking the material and the ideas that the writers are putting out there and saying, okay, let's do that thing. And as we do that thing, let's tweak it to this. And this thing that this person pitched is a perfect thing to pair with the thing that you pitched and sort of keeping the, the creative output going. And when uh, you get, when people are writing sketches, is it usually like one writer or two writers on a sketch who pitch the idea or are you assigning them out or, or assigning people, I won't say punch it up, but to help it out? Um, definitely like a, a, a combo of everything you just said. Usually it's one person's idea that comes to the room and then, you know, they'll write it and then we'll, they might be really busy with a bunch of other things or not so busy. And like, they'll be like I kind of took this out the, as far as I can take it here can this person take a pass at it and then we as a room every script that leaves our room we as a room go through and and hit every joke so every moment in the show is the result and product of the minds in that room a, a mind meld you are technically the first black woman to be a head writer of a sketch television show um, two questions. Uh, what does it mean for you to be a head writer? And what does that distinction mean to you as well? Um, to me, to be a head writer is like, honestly, a dream come true. Because I remember when I was in, I think I was in college, and uh, Tina Fey, or I found out that Tina Fey was the first woman to be the head writer of SNL. And I was like, I want to do that. That I was like, I want to be that. She was my my goalpost. And then when Robin Thede became the first black woman to be the head writer of a late night show, I was like, I want to do that. That was my goalpost. And I thought it was going to take me a lot longer to make that stuff happen. Um, I really did not expect that it would happen. I knew I wanted it to, but I didn't know that it would and certainly not soon. Um, and so for me, it means like even the times that I thought that I was far away from my goals I was still, I still had them in hand and I was still working towards them. And it means a lot to me to be able to get that first over with and kick the door down so that there can be lots of others and there's no more count. We can't count because it's too many. It's just amazing how much uh, not only TV, but also comedy especially has been very uh, traditional in a lot of senses and how a lot of that has been upended in the past, I would say, two decades especially. Mm-hmm. I want to ask you a little bit about the cast because it's, it's Robin, but the whole cast is absolutely amazing. What's the process like coming up with characters and scripting the characters? So the cool thing about our show is that we don't write for the actors. We write characters and the actors bring them to life. And oh. so unlike uh, other sketch shows where it's like, oh, this talented person has this thing that they do. Let's write a sketch around that. We write the sketch and create the world and do all these things. And then we have the actors give us their take on them. And, you know, we have a, a really cool thing in that, in that Robin and Ashley are also writers on the show. So they will write for themselves often, which is really cool. Um, but it's really wonderful as a writer to come up with characters and have this, you know, vision in your head and then see these talented women on our show, take it and go, got it and they they just channel it in such an incredible really stunning almost scary good way it's really <laughs> it's really cool 
I would say uh, uh, Scary Good is a great description. And b- before we jump into season two, I, I want to talk about a few sketches from the first season, which I think that would be a good description for. Um, probably like, I think one of the biggest ones is uh, the Bad Bitch support group that yes. had, uh, also has Angela Bassett and, and uh, Laverne Cox in it. Yeah. Where did this idea come from? Talk to me about this. The idea came from uh, one of our incredible writers, Ray Sani, and she, it just was the idea of taking something that we all, um, an, a caricature that we all know and understand and want to explore, which is like the idea of a bad bitch, like a woman who's like done up all the time in a waist trainer and a bodycon dress, wearing heels, has, you know, perfectly coiffed hair and nails and makeup and trying to sort of understand what her inner life and inner struggles might be because everybody has an inner life and inner struggles as beautiful as life may be on the outside. Everybody has those things. So taking the idea that like, okay, what are a bad bitch's day-to-day problems and who would she turn to for support? And then saying, okay, well, a support group is like kind of a, you know, a typical or a a well-tread territory as far as sketch is concerned. Like we've seen support groups before. So how do we make a support group our own? How do we make it so the audience doesn't ever get to relax back into their chair saying, I know what's going on here. How do we jolt them out of their seat? And what was it like watching Angela Bassett specifically performing that sketch when it was recorded? I don't know if you were there for the recording or not. was life-changing. I've I've never, I didn't expect how very um, just gobsmacked I would be by seeing Angela Bassett take such great care in her Angela Bassett incredible iconic actor way with our words. I just was like, oh, she's like giving this the Angela Bassett treatment. I I, I was just so impressed and it was such an honor and like it really was a, a delight and a joy. Well, I would say like it's like the performances by the cast are amazing, and then they that first shot when they cut to Angela Bassett, yet you just she brings the weight. You're just like, oh wow, this is amazing. Yes. Okay, so one of my favorite sketches uh, is the two two seven the reboot. I love that show growing up. It's <laughs> a spot on like homage to the show, but kind of like um, uh, the bad bit support group sketch. There's kind of this brilliance with the ending. And in this particular one, you you, you have the original cast of 227. Mm-hmm. Uh, talk to me through this sketch. How did this come about? And um, we'll talk about these twists in a second. Yeah, Robin is, I mean, Robin has had in her back pocket for life. Basically, she was born with an, a, an incredible pitch perfect Jack Hay, uh Sandra impression. And she, so we kind of, this is one sketch that we kind of built around an impression as atypically for the show. And we, you know, really wanted to do an homage and come up with like, okay, you know, a lot of shows were getting rebooted at the time. How do we, um, you know, take on the concept of a reboot for a beloved sitcom that we all loved growing up. And we uh, did the sketch and it was great. And then the idea of like incorporating the actual cast members from 227 was just like icing on the cake. And like, we hoped for it, but didn't know if we would get it and getting it was fantastic. <laughs> uh, it's it's tremendous. And I think that's that speaks to a little bit of like a theme throughout the show, which is things are very funny, but very smart. Um, uh, we talked about two sketches where there's a little bit of a twist at the end. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, how do you and the writers come up with those twists and why are they important? Why are they, why is it important to have those twists in the show? We love twists um, because they're thrilling. And because I think that the way that we watch TV now, like we're as just a culture, everyone's always kind of 
waiting for like that oh moment. Like you think of all of our great iconic television shows, like our our appetites are there for that kind of moment in TV, right? And in sketch, because we're on a narrative sketch comedy show, we know that like only you can only so long look at the same joke or whatever without heightening it or elevating it. And our sketches tend to be, um, have like real narrative arcs and stuff. And part of having a narrative arc means having some kind of twist. And so um, oftentimes we'll, our writers are super brilliant and they will come to us with the full sketch, including the twist. And then sometimes they'll be like, I have the whole thing. I don't have the twist or the end. And one of my favorite moments in the season two writer's room was one of our writers, Akilah Green. Um, <laughs> she, someone had pitched a sketch and they didn't have a twist ending and Akilah solved it. And then she goes to that writer. She said, you owe me an ending and I need it today. <laughs> because she needed an ending for her sketch that she was about to pitch. And sure enough, that writer gave her an ending too. And so it was just such a beautiful moment um, of like a transactional, uh, comedically transactional moment. Before I ask this question, just acknowledge that you are working at such a mega higher level than I've ever been at. But um, I, I was part of an improv sketch group, and I I know writing the ends of sketches that was always the, the toughest part. Uh, how do you end that? And um, I'm curious, is that still a challenge even when you have like the amazing talent you have on your staff? You know, it depends, but usually no, because especially now having done uh, two seasons, is that like when the foundation is very strong and you know the characters, like it's very hard if you're like dealing with a character. I've only known this character for two minutes worth of comedy and the character isn't super well developed. So like, how would I end the sketch in a satisfying way without just having them jump out of a window? Because like, I literally can't think of anything else. We've now lived with these characters, seen them, written them for a long time. So it's like, I know exactly what this person would do in this situation. I know exactly what this person, what would get a rise out of this person. I know what the audience loves about this character. And I know how they would react if X happened. And so it becomes a little easier um, once you sort of live with these people a little longer. Well, and one of those characters we see right at the open of season two is we the return of uh, Dr. Hadassah. I'm not going to say her entire name there, um, <laughs> but she's known for spouting some amazing and funny conspiracy theories. Uh, two that stuck out for me is Stevie Wonder wasn't blind. He was just sick of looking at white people. And the other one was uh, it's the theories are as ridiculous, but some of them have some truths to it, I think, too. And the other one that stuck out for me is... Uh, uh, white people are are the pandemic from which we have no vaccine. What was the decision to open season two with her? Um, the decision was pretty, it was all Robbins and it was very clear to her and to me from the beginning, like the one person that you know from this universe of, of characters that we've created, the one person you know that is just sitting on a year's worth of opinions is Dr. Hadassah. Like, you know, she is the person who is just <laughs> raring to go to discuss everything that has happened since we left the air. And so it just felt so natural and urgent to get her on the screen. And this also just that shot of her stepping up onto the dolly. And <laughs> just it's so perfect. And I uh, love it. <laughs> Okay, there's one more uh, sketch I, I want to talk through in depth. That's the return of Black Lady Courtroom. Um, mm -hmm. What's the reason behind having it return? And why would 
a courtroom with all black women, why would that be so unusual to have? Right. Yeah. It's the sketch is so um, like as someone who works on the show, but also as a fan and as a black woman, like the impact of that moment of seeing it and filming it cannot be overstated. And to come back to it, it was just like, we, we have to, like, we have to, we want to so badly. And because like, that is the thing, like people have shouted at the cast of our show. Like you, they've been in like, you know, the doctor's office, the library, a shrimp restaurant, and they'll hear echoing from miles away, black lady courtroom. Like that is their name pretty much now is black lady courtroom clap clap is their name. And so, because it really resonated with people and it felt like there was more to tell there. And so we were like, let's do it. Let's go back. Yeah. And uh, it's also, that's just such a a catchy song or catchphrase. It's like, it's just in your head. You're like, yes. Yeah. Love it. Um, And you can make it black lady teacher's lounge. Black lady, um, you know, bus stop, black lady, whatever, it, it fits. Mm-hmm. Well, and I think that's also the brilliance too, because it, again, it's very funny, but also there's a little bit of social commentary to it, mm-hmm. but it's not so in your face. Um, now, something that was amazing that happened in 2020 for a black lady sketch show was you guys were nominated for an Emmy Award, or a few of them, but specifically mm-hmm. an Emmy Award for Outstanding Variety Sketch Series. Do you remember what you were doing when you found out you were nominated or the show was nominated? I absolutely do remember because I remember every single day of 2020 because <laughs> most of it was spent ah. in quiet reflection in my the four walls of my apartment. Um, and so I do remember I was sitting in my bed uh, with my wife and I, Robin was the one who told me, she texted me and I was like, you're joking. I was like, stop. You're joking. You're lying. Can't be, it can't be serious. And then we FaceTime. We just were like, ah, my God, oh my God. It was like, truly like, I never (laughs) expected to experience that kind of moment in my life or my career and the joy and like just gratification I felt because everyone on the show is just such an incredible talent and also such an incredible person as an individual. It felt so nice to have that hard work be recognized and by our peers. Like it's so it, you think of all these things as cliches until it happens, but it truly is one of the most like just warm feelings I've ever felt to have like the people that do the thing you do, because it's one thing for somebody who's like, Oh, like, you know, I, I, it's like if a doctor gets complimented by the patient on having a good surgery, that's very nice. And they, that feels great to them because they save that person's life or whatever. But like for another (laughs) surgeon to be like the way that you like did that stitch was really artful. That doctor probably leaves the, the hospital going like, wow, that was so nice. And so to have people who know what it looks like and feels like to do the work, say, we see you was very um, uh, much appreciated. Well, that and let's just say uh, we should copyright and trademark the fact that there should be a doctor's Emmys is what I'm hearing from you um, <laughs> for their particular works. That is a clear sign that I... You're nominated truly... for Best Bandage this year. Exactly. That is that is um, my watch having watched way too much Grey's Anatomy in quarantine coming out. I Everything I say is a doctor analogy. So um, what does the nomination mean to you now just ahead of season two getting ready to, to air? It still is just as 
exciting and gratifying as it was when it happened last year. Like I'll never forget that ever. I'll never, I will never get over that. I will never be like, Oh, you know, like I, it always will just mean the most (laughs) for in perpetuity. Um, but the, you know, the thing is, is that like the real true greatness is that we got to make another season of the show. Like, I, I do not take that for granted at all. I'm so grateful that we got to make it and that we got through it during a really tough year um, and that we were able to do it. That means the most. Okay, so the name of our podcast is called I'm So Obsessed. What are you currently obsessed with, Lauren? Oh my gosh. Okay, Patrick. I'm obsessed with everything, like not even kidding. I am obsessed with everything. So it's going to be hard to pick, but I'm going to say I am obsessed at the, as of this current moment, I am obsessed with the Masked Singer. I will weave it into every conversation. I am hooked on the program, have been since it first aired in the United States. I, it is my household's reigning show aside from, um, like we just, can't get enough of it. And um, I'm constantly trying to recruit other people to watch it and trying to um, shove my theories down their throat and vice versa. I'm hooked on it. What about the show really appeals to you? And what's your pitch to friends who haven't seen it yet? The thing that appeals to me is a phenomenon that I read about the show when it first came out, which is that it gives the viewer a tip of the tongue um, experience and it's sort of like the name that tune show there's a certain thing that our brain does that gets gratification from that i know it i know it i know it i knew it or i know it i know it i know it i was wrong there's something like physiological that happens and i love that show and i love i think the judges are delightful they're very funny i love that they have real music like people who know singers like Nicole Scherzinger and Robin Thicke I love that Dr. Ken is on it it's very funny I love that Jenny McCarthy like has just interviewed so many people for her radio show she's like I know that person's mannerisms I think I interviewed them on my radio show 15 months ago I think it's such and such and she's often right the best part of the show is that in season one this is I apologize for a spoiler it literally was three years ago um T-Pain won and T-Pain is someone who's known for singing with auto-tune And to hear him sing without auto-tune and for him to win a singing competition and really show the range of what he could do vocally was such a cool experience to watch. And that show does that for a lot of people. It's like, this person is a skier, but they're actually also a very good singer or an NBA player. Um, So I think my pitch for people would be to watch it because it's very well done. It's beautiful. It's funny. And you'll get to see a celebrity that you really enjoy at the end of every episode. How, how's your guess ratio of like actually guessing who it was? In the past, historically, it's not been perfect, but there were two people where I was like, they sang one note and I was like, that's Patti LaBelle. She, another person sang one note. I said, that was Michelle Williams in seasons past. Like after one note, I was like, I know, Amazing. I know that voice. This season though, I'm telling you, Patrick, I don't know until the season is over, but I am on fire with my guesses and I know that I'm right about at least six people. Oh, wow. That is a proclamation. Okay. So this is a big pivot away from all that. Um, Is it true that you and your sister have seen Rent 50 times? Is that that a true thing? That is true. I think combined 50 for sure. Yeah. I think, I don't know the exact number, but it's high. It's very high. And is that like just like original Broadway or is that just over the years tours and things like that? That's over the years. That's, um, 
I don't think any of us saw original Broadway. I saw Broadway in the 90s because my uncle was Benny. He replaced Hey Diggs. So I saw the first time I saw oh. it. And then after that, it was like Broadway tours, um, sit downs, you know, everything else. And I got to ask, I mean, I, I think I know some of it because I love Rent. Uh, maybe not to your level, but what is it about Rent that you would want to go see a show like that 50 times or that many times? Um, I just really love musical theater and I love how, um, what's the word I'm looking for? How, uh, in a show like Rent where there is such little dialogue, like the, the book is the show, the, um, absolute like prowess of the, the writer and the music and telling a story only in song is so hard to do. And so seeing it and hearing it done by different people, you get to hear different things every time because you get to hear like a breath can change a phrase in a song, you know, a, a, a crescendo or a key change can change everything, the meaning of a, a sentence in a song. So getting to see it in all those different iterations is very fun. Well, and I got to ask you, I mean, as someone who's a writer, uh, would you ever in your wildest dreams think that maybe of writing a musical or, or working with someone on a musical with a composer? Yeah, I would love to do that. Actually. I, I think that I love music. I love musical theater. I really would love to do that. I would have to truly start from the bottom as far as learning how to do that would go. I don't, I'm not a fan of like being like, I could do that. It seems easy. It does not seem easy at all. And I would have to work very hard at it. Um, but I would like to try. <laughs> um, there's so many more questions I have for you, but um, I, I, I want to talk a little bit more about your relationship with um, Robin um, mm -hmm. Didi specifically, because uh, you talked about her being kind of the one who who was at the core of getting um, a Black Lady Sketch Show made, and you worked with her previously on the show on BET, but what is that relationship like um, professionally? Uh, so for me, I, I Robin was someone who I knew of before I met her. Like it, it was like, I knew of her career. I knew of her talents. I knew of her accomplishments. And for me, she was like the roadmap for the career that I wanted. And so I've never had this experience in my life where I've had someone that I respected and admired as a fan become my, you know, boss and collaborator and friend. I've never had that happen before. And so I feel deeply grateful that like, I never in my wildest dreams, it's like, if someone's like, you know, uh, like it just doesn't happen. Like that does not happen. And so I don't take that for granted or lightly for one second. And our working relationship is so, um, it's so fluid. Like we truly have a shorthand. We finish each other's sentences. Like we'll, we'll say things like, like, did you do, what do you think about that? Mm -hmm, no, it's too. Yep. Okay. Like the, no one can follow <laughs> the conversation and I feel bad for the people that have to listen to it happen, but we're like, yeah, got it. And it's so smooth and fluid and seamless. And it's, it makes working on the show that much more fun and funny and exciting. And I just couldn't be prouder of the, you know, seeing someone that I work with in the trenches every day and then watching her on screen as these truly wild characters is such a joy. I want to get to a thing we do called pick one. I gave you a couple examples and mm -hmm. you pick one. It doesn't mean the one you pick is necessarily okay. better than the others. It's just you picked it. So the first one is LA or St. Louis. 
Ah, my parents are going to kill me. L.A. Oh, okay, I, I got to ask why. <laughs> because they always are like, are you going to be, are you one of those kids that just hates where you're from now? And my mom asked me that like literally yesterday. I was like, I don't hate where I'm from just because I haven't traveled there in a pandemic does not mean I don't like St. Louis. I just have been, I've been grounded by a global pandemic, but um, I like the weather in LA better. Hmm, that's fair enough. Um, this next one, I'm taking a little bit of a guess on because I, I read something else about your background. Okay. So pick one, writing or acting? Writing. I, I, the reason I ask this is the, the thing that we have in common is, <laughs> you're so much more successful, is we failed multiple times, each of us, to get into uh, grad school, you for an MFA in acting and myself and an yep. MFA in theater directing. Yep. In a weird way, thank God I didn't because that would be a not great lucrative career. Um, but as you are a writer now and you look back at that time in your life, what does it mean to be a writer versus had you even gotten into grad school as an actor? I think I probably still would have found my way to writing and would still be writing, but I definitely feel more of a sense of like, like as an actor, I felt, you know, you can only control what's, you know, your instrument or whatever. And as a writer, you just have many more, I can write based on anything, you know, yeah. like I can, it just, the world feels more open to me and um, like imagination wise. And so I, I just love to write. Oh man, that's great. I, I, I relate to that very much. Um, next one is typing on a computer or writing with pen and paper. Typing on a computer. And the next, here's the last one. Uh, pick one. Mark, Tom, Angel, Mimi, Roger, Joni, or Benny? <laughs> Benny, because my uncle was Benny. I would say when I learned your uncle's, I was like, he's, she's got to pick Benny. She's got to pick Benny. So, um, Lauren, I have to say, this has been an absolute blast. And a Black Lady uh, sketch show is so funny. And I just wish you continued success. Thank you for being on our podcast. Thank you. And this was so great. And the questions were so fun and like, it was a joy. So I appreciate it. It was a great way to start my morning. I want to thank Lauren for chatting with me. And I want to thank you for listening. You can watch a black lady sketch show on HBO max with new episodes of season two airing Friday nights on HBO. Please take a moment and subscribe to I'm so obsessed on your favorite podcast app. And if you really like this episode, please rate it until next time. Take care.